0: Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles, and today we'll be taking a sneak peek um, at one of Mike's top tips for passing the ARE, which is straight from his A19 presentation. Uh, and That tip is know your contracts. So knowing contracts and how they relate to the ARE is certainly a key for passing the exams. So today we're going to show uh, show you guys what you need to know about the A101 the B101, and the A201 when you take the exam. Um, At our next ARE Live, we'll be sharing success stories from recently licensed architects um, that we meet at the A19 Conference on Architecture. So you'll be able to listen to useful study habits and exam-taking strategies from different attendees who've passed ARE using uh, Black Spectacles. So uh, you can stop by our booth, which is number 7138, and uh, we will be giving away free Black Spectacles t-shirts and I think some pop sockets. Oh, the t shirts so are always a big draw, so you gotta get Yeah, we're doing pop sockets there. this year, so that's we'll pretty see cool how that too. Goes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyways, uh, if, if you're gonna be there, uh, f- feel free to stop by for sure. Um, a couple updates. So, you may have heard that Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved test prep provider for all six of the ARE 5.0 divisions. Uh, and that includes all of our study materials uh, the lectures, the practice exams, the flashcards. Um, and one note here if you're looking for support and structure while studying, um, you're welcome to register for our next group coaching cohort. Uh, group coaching, uh, so the next one is on June 14th, um, you get basically assigned to a small group of people with a licensed architect who's your coach, and then you also get access to all of our, to, to our lectures, practice exams, and flashcards. Um, so heads up that that's uh, June 14th is the next, uh, uh, the next cohort is opened. <clears throat> And then as I always like to tell people, if you'd like your boss to pay for Black Spectacles membership, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses. Now we're doing something interesting and new this this time around, so you can learn more about the differences between an individual subscription and a group subscription on Thursday. So in two days um, at noon uh, for our first ever Black Spectacles ARE 5.0 product demonstration. Um, it'll be a webinar just like this, and one of our uh, account executives, uh, Ty and our AJ, will, will walk everyone through the Black Spectacles um, learning modules, and highlight the features that make uh, you you know, know this is you know, make our content so helpful. Um, and today, uh, if that's not of interest to you, that's fine, of course. Uh, we have a special discount on Black Spectacles individual memberships to share, so we'll provide that coupon at the end of the show. My guest today, Mr. Mike Newman. If you don't know Mike, he's a senior lecturer at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he is the instructor for Black Spectacles online uh, area exam prep. Uh, thank you, Mike, for joining us today. I should note, uh, Mike is going to be doing a presentation, the top t- uh, tips to pass the ARE at A19 in Las Vegas. So, if you haven't already um, signed up for that, I'd encourage out. you to do so. Yeah. Um, it's always sold out. So, I don't know if it's sold out. This year, they actually were able to get you a much bigger It's a much bigger room. Venue, so, 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 we should have some, some space. But, yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, I'd like to encourage you guys to come out. Um, so, with that, I'll hand it over to you, Mike.
1: Okay. All right. So, uh, as Mark said, uh, we'll be talking about a whole range of issues uh, at the A19. Um, but because of that, because of the whole range of issues, we have to move, you know, pretty pretty quickly through it. Uh, so, today, we just wanted to take a chance to dive into one of them, get it a little bit deeper. And so, we thought contracts would be a great a great one to really put our teeth into. So, uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, the kind of trying to navigate through the contracts, uh, so clearly when you're looking at contracts, they all look like contracts, you know, they all, they're all very legalese, they're all written by lawyers, uh, they, they all kind of look the same, um, you know, it looks sort of like anything you'd see uh, from any other contractual situation. But if you look deeply, you realize that, no, they're actually really quite different from each other. And, of course, they're quite different from each other because the roles that everybody plays are so different. Uh, And so, we're going to first, just for today, what we're going to talk about uh, is the sort of standard uh, design, bid, build uh, project delivery system. So, that's the project delivery, whoop, (laughs) is that me? (laughs) Sorry about that if everybody heard that one.
0: I think Siri's a little upset. That, uh, <laughs> Siri's upset did with not me include for. Uh... Her in this uh, part of the meeting, or part of the webinar. <laughs> That's right.
1: Um, so, design, bid, build is uh, the sort of standard um, uh, like, all right, we're um, we're going to do a, a, a project. There's going to be a client, the, the owner client is going to hire the architect. They're going to have a relationship for a long time as they go through, figure out the design, go through schematic design, design development, into contract documents, and then eventually bid it out to a number of potential bidders. Uh, And those uh, bidders, one will get chosen, that becomes the general contractor, then a new contract is made between the owner and the general contractor, and then they build it out. There's a bunch of great advantages to that system. The biggest one being that you've worked it all out with the owner uh, before any contractors get too deep into it. Uh, You then bid it out. So we now know like what the low bids are. We know what the range of bids are. We have a lot of information. One of the downsides to design bid build is that it's long. You have to go through that whole process of designing and then the contractors start to go and it can take a long time. And one of the other potential downsides to it is that by the time you do go through that whole design process, you know, you're maybe a couple months into the process before anybody else, any other contractors actually look at it and give you any feedback on pricing, which obviously can be problematic. So there's positives and negatives to design, bid, build. Some of the other examples would be Design Build, uh, Construction Manager, Multiple Prime, uh, Fast Track. Those are all different versions of Project Delivery. And each of those different versions of Project Delivery would have a different set of contracts. But because Design, Bid, Build is sort of the default setting, if you will, it's the assumed. If, if it doesn't say what the type of Project Delivery is, then everybody would naturally assume Design, Bid, Build. So, uh, we're going to use those contracts as our sort of mainstay. And I think generally the exam will do the same. Now, they may also ask you questions about some of the other ones. Uh, but, you know, the, the majority of, of questions that will come at you would be uh, regarding design, bid, build. And so, the design, bid, build, uh, the uh, contracts that we're talking about here are going to be the B101. Uh, which is the Owner-Architect Agreement. Uh, One of the things I always say when I talk about this is why they use the B for the Architect and not the A for the Architect. I have no idea, Uh, but the B's are all architect related. And then the A101, which is the Owner-Contractor Agreement. Uh, So all of the A's are contractor related. And then all of the other, you know, design build and construction managers and uh, consultant agreements and everything all have uh, slightly different numbering systems. Uh, One thing that's worth noting is that the B101 and the A101 are the two uh, sort of big standard, um, like any project you can do. Uh, but if you were doing, say, a smaller project, then there's uh, other versions. If you're doing a very, very large project, then there's another version of each of these. Uh, So there's actually like five or six different versions of these, uh, some that are tiny and a couple pages, some that are many, many pages. Uh, And the idea is that you sort of find the appropriate one for the scale of the project. Like it doesn't really make... Excuse me. Doesn't really make any sense to uh, use a 40-page document to do, uh, you know, a kitchen edition. Um, so you would frighten off your clients if you if you did that, right? So you try to find the right contract for the particular job that you're talking about. But if we're going to sort of talk standards, the B101 and the A101 are the two flagship uh, contracts of the whole system. If you actually went and listed them all out, I there's hundreds of different contracts by the time you go through all the variations you don't really need to worry too much about that but you should after you get a handle on the b101 the a101 and then we'll also take a quick look into the a201 the general conditions once you get a handle on those three uh, then you would want to start branching out a little bit you won't need to memorize everything of of other ones uh, but just to get a sense of what they're like, so you have some idea about what's going on. All right, so as I said, here we are, we're comparing uh, the B101 and the A101. And the reason we're comparing these is because it's really important for you to just read the contracts and get to know what's written into these contracts. So I want you to read them. Uh, So I'm just going to even underline that to make the point. You really do need to read them. Having said that, if you just sat down and read these contracts, your eyes are going to glaze over immediately and you're going to sort of not be thinking about the fact that they are just very contract sounding. So you need to sort of understand what the themes are in the contracts in order to see what, uh, what's actually going on. So, you want to read them, but read them with your, sort of in your antenna up to pick up specific pieces of information. Uh, so, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a couple of different themes uh, that are going to be sort of pretty clearly shown once we take a look at the actual contracts. All right, so some of the key concepts. When we're talking about the B101, and like I said, this is the, the one with the owner-architect arch- agreement and so we start with that one because that's the start of the project. You don't get to the A101 until you start uh, having bidders and such. Uh, so we're starting with the B101 and we think about well, what is the nature of the B101 and it's an odd thing. Like, When you think of a contract, you think of, well, it wants to be very set in stone. It wants to be something that's like really clear, like I am contracting with you and you're going to, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars and you're going to give me 10 widgets for those dollars or something, you know, like some very simple, straightforward idea. But obviously, uh, for architects, the whole architectural process just isn't that straightforward. Like, it wouldn't really make sense for you to have a contract where the architectural contract says, uh, okay, uh, I, as the owner, will pay you uh, $100 and you will provide a drawing that's 24 inches by 36 inches and has 10 markings on it. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, like that kind of, of clarity is actually not useful. It would be clear, you could know exactly what you needed to do, but it's just not useful. It's not what an architectural process is like. So, what is the architectural process? Well, it's all about ideas, design, compliance. Who? okay. Compliance. So, what are you doing? You are having a conversation with the owner. The contract is about creating the process of a conversation with the owner to discuss ideas, design, compliance with codes, compliance with the program needs, compliance with all of those things, and you're going to develop a oh boy, design intent. So it's all about the ideas that are going to be generated that haven't been generated yet, right? When the contract is signed, it's just a program. It's a list of uh, desires, and you're turning it into a design intent. That design intent is about uh, conceptual ideas of design, hierarchies, wayfinding, uh, things like that, uh, showing compliance with... uh, zoning codes, building codes, other codes, uh, having ideas that are representative of the needs of the client. So these are all fairly fluid and flexible concepts. This is not a situation where you could just say, yeah, I need a 24 by 36 drawing. Like that just doesn't fit to this list of issues. So the contract will notice pretty quickly when we start going through it is going to be filled with issues that are about flexibility and reasonableness and uh, discussion effectively. Now, the A101, the key concepts here are going to be about achieving. They are going to be about fulfilling. They're going to be about uh, actually building it, right, making something. So effectively, what's being said here is, while the B101 is all about this sort of flexibility and inclusiveness of discussion ideas and trying to find a balance between uh, compliance issues and design intentions, Uh, The A101 is all about, did you build it? If you built it, we'll pay you. So, the A101 effectively is much simpler than the B101 because its needs are so straightforward. Now, of course, construction is complicated and, you know, weather and payment systems and, you know, uh, tariffs and who knows what uh, can all play into it. So, the A101 does get complicated But all of its complications are subservient to the idea did you build it if you did then we pay you Uh, whereas the B101 for with the architects it's always going to be all about creating a discussion between the two players the owner and the architect and the architect's team uh, in order to find the right balance of a design intent so the B101 tends to be much more loose and fluid and flexible. The A101 tends to be much more straightforward. So, they are going to look a lot alike, but they are actually going to be quite different from each other. So, let's take a look at the actual contracts. Uh, we are going to just jump right in here. It is going to be a little awkward here, but... So, here is an example uh, from, of the B101 Uh, straight from the AIA. Uh, The first thing that you notice is in the sort of naming of the process here, the naming of the contract. Uh, So we're going to take a quick look uh, and kind of go down here, grab this. Uh, all right, so we start looking through and we see uh, that there's a, a name here and it's, okay, it's, the, it's an agreement between uh, the architect is listed and there's the name of the architect, Fab Design Studio, and here's the project name, uh, the uh, owner is listed, the Black Spectacles in this case is uh, presumed to be the owner. Uh, and then there's a project description spot, we can list out. Uh, everything that's there. So there's all sorts of information uh, that's being gathered in this uh, in this moment here in order to sort of fully uh, dress up uh, kind of everybody knows exactly what's going on and then at the bottom of that page is the owner and the architect agree to the following right and then comes all sorts of uh, information so we've then we've got uh, all of the uh, essentially the table of contents of what the rest of the uh, contract is going to look like. Okay, so we just looked at the naming. Let's take a look at the A101 uh, and take a look at what the naming looks like there. So here we have the owner, we have the uh, general contractor, and then there's a series of information pieces here that are going to talk about, well, what is actually being built? And it's interesting, this is a contract between the owner and the general contractor. And yet look, there you are as the architect right there. You are in their contract. You're not signing it, it's not your contract, but you are in their contract. And that's because it wouldn't make any sense for them to have a contract that didn't acknowledge the work that you had done. The whole point of their contract is you have developed a design intent and you've handed it over and now the GC with this contract is going to fulfill that design intent. They're going to achieve the design intent. And so right off the bat, you see that these things are different from each other because in the timeline of events, they are different and the expectations, they're different. So, okay, let's talk about expectations for a second. We're going to go back to the B101. So we're in the Owner-Architect Agreement. You have some of the initial information here. What some of the physical characteristics are. Remember, this is being done at the beginning of the process. So what are the main things you need to know in order to be able to work on the project and have everybody on the same page? Some estimates for what the uh, construction budget can be. Uh, doesn't really make any sense for the architect to work on a project if they don't have an idea of what the budget is. Obviously, you would design, you know, to uh, your, your desired budget, not the actual budget. Uh, there's then a place there to talk about uh, the timeline and kind of all those things that are going on. I'm going to keep moving forward here for a second. and we're going to get into the second section. This is all the consultants here that were being listed out, all the other people who are uh, being brought in. All right, and here we are in the Article 2, and Article 2 is about the responsibilities that the architect is going to be taking on. So let's just, as an example, read out one section. So I'm going to read out section 2.2, so that's right here. The architect shall perform its services consistent with the professional skill and care ordinarily provided uh, by architects practicing in the same or similar locality under the same or similar circumstances. The architect shall perform its services as expeditiously as is consistent with such professional skill and care and the orderly progress of the project. So what, what's happening there is that this is, you probably have heard of the term, the standard of care. This is this idea of like, what are you being legally held to when you talk about a contract? Well, it's not that the project is going to be perfect or beautiful or any of those things, because there's no way you could really contractually do that. Like it wouldn't make any sense to say, I guarantee you with this contract, this will be the most beautiful building in the world. Like, How would you ever do that contractually? It doesn't really make any sense. But what you can say is that it's competent and it's designed in a way that will be compliant with the codes and it will meet all of the basic needs that the client has asked uh, for the architect to do. And if it doesn't for some reason, if there's some problem point that comes along the way, then the question of whether you did it accurately, whether you were negligent or uh, responsible is going to be, well, what would a, another architect in a similar situation, doing a similar project in a similar location, what would they do? Would they have made the same kinds of decisions that you made? So it's, in the end, it's not about the beauty or any of those things. It's about is it competent and is it going to uh, fulfill the basic needs, right? Those are very slippery ideas, right? It's sort of uh, talking about you're going to do your work as expeditiously as possible. Uh, You're going to, uh, you know, inform the owner of the flow of the project. You're going to uh, have discussions with the owner. Like if we then kind of move on to uh, a little bit farther down the way here. Let's go to 323. I'm just going to read this one little spot right here. Uh, section 323. The architect shall present its preliminary evaluation to the owner and shall discuss with the owner alternative approaches to design and construction of the project. The architect shall reach an understanding with the owner regarding the requirements of the project. So what they're effectively doing here, here is this is a contract saying you will reach an understanding in the future. You are, we are contracting to say that the whole point of this is we're going to have a discussion and then we're going to come to a a meeting of minds about what the point of what we're doing is. Again, it's about ideas, it's about design, it's about a design intent, and it's the discussion is what the contract is doing. It's the discussion to create all of that partly from the baggage of information that the architect brings, which is knowledge of codes and and systems of design, and partly from the specifics of the project and the program that the owner brings to the table. So they bring a site, they bring a program, and with those two bunches of information, a conversation is had, and it ends up creating the design intent. So right built into the B101 is this idea of this very uh, sort of fluid discussion, design, idea-focused thing. Let's look at another quick little example here and then we'll jump over to the A101. I'm going to jump ahead to the A31. So, I just want to call out a couple of words out of this. And so, A point, excuse me, the the, uh, B101 3.3.1. Based on the owner's approval of the schematic design documents and the owner's authorization of any adjustments to the project requirements and the budget uh, for the cost of the work, the architect shall prepare design development drawing documents uh, for the owner's approval. The design development documents shall illustrate and describe the development of the approved schematic design documents and shall consist of drawings and other documents including plans, sections, elevations, typical construction details, and diagrammatic layouts of building systems to fix and describe the size and character of the project as to architectural, structural, mechanical, and electrical systems." So, think of that word character. You're describing the character of the design intent. Can you imagine saying to, uh, on the A101, the, tank to the contractor, uh, we just want you to kind of capture the character of what uh, the design drawings say. I mean, that wouldn't even, you would there's no way you would sign that because it would be too open and fluid. The A101 is going to be, can you achieve it? Can you build it? The B101 is going to be, Let's have the discussion, let's get onto the same page, we'll go back and forth. You're going to talk about the character of something, we're going to understand the character, we'll then sign off. So it's all about that level of back and forth. So let's take a look over at the A101 and kind of think about some related similar elements. So I'm going to jump over here to uh, Section 2, so I'm going to go by Section 1. Uh, So Section 1 is talking about uh, all of the same kinds of things that Section 1 on the uh, B101 did, which is the starting dates and the timeline. In this case, that timeline is going to be very important. Okay. Here's Article 2, the work of this contract. The contractor shall fully execute the work described in the contract documents, except as specifically indicated in the contract documents to be the responsibility of others. So think how different that sentence is from what we were just reading in the B101, where it was all about reasonableness and uh, character and conversation and sign off. What this one says is, the contractor shall fully execute the work, period, right? This contract is about finishing the building. And so once you see that, everything else, that difference between these two, every other part of these contracts falls in line. So let's look at another quick example. Let's go to 3.3. Okay, under 3.3.3, If the contractor fails to achieve substantial completion as provided in this section, liquidated damages, if any, shall be assessed as set forth in blah, blah, blah." So what's going on there? What it's saying is not only do you need to achieve it, but there are potentially problems. Like like you actually have potentially uh, damages. You lose money if you don't actually do the work that the contract says you're going to do so it's not just that it says you have to complete the project it's that the whole contract is built around the idea of how do we make sure that they actually complete the project now there's also lots of protections for the contractor built in how do we make sure they get paid uh, reasonably how do we make sure that something that's out of their control like weather or something like that doesn't uh, force them into an unreasonable situation there's plenty of protections for the contractor but no matter no matter how you read this document It is about describing how they're going to achieve the work, they're going to build the work, uh, and then the owner will pay them. Uh, Now, the process of paying is interesting and complicated with retainage and all sorts of other intriguing things which we can talk about elsewhere. Uh, So it's, it's complicated, but the gist of it is very simple and straightforward. Let's jump back to the B101 for a moment and we're going to look at uh, controlling the the costs of the project. So I'm going to jump kind of far ahead here and go to 6.3. Okay, here we are at 6.3. In preparing estimates of the cost of the work, the architect shall be permitted to include contingencies for design, bidding, and price escalation to determine what materials, equipment, component systems, and types of construction are to be included in the contract documents. To recommend reasonable adjustments in the program and scope of the project, and to include design alternates as may be necessary to adjust the estimated cost of the work to meet the owner's budget. The architect's estimate of the cost of the work shall be based on current area, volume, or similar conceptual estimating techniques. If the owner requires a detailed estimate of the cost of the work, the architect shall provide such an estimate, if identified as the architect's responsibility in supplemental services. So there's kind of a lot of stuff there. But what's going on there is they're saying, look, it's very unlikely that any project is going to go smoothly from a design conversation straight into meeting exactly the right budget. It's just difficult. It's just anybody who's done anything in construction or in design knows that things are more expensive than you might think, or there's complications, or uh, it turns out the permits cost more if you do X instead of Y. There's all sorts of reasons why these things can become uh, sort of complicated. So what 6.3 is delineating in the owner-architect agreement is saying, look, expect there to be a flexibility built into this by having the architect not only make a design, but also make alternates that might be more appealing to the owner, but where the architect knows it'll cost more, and they need to be able to take the alternate out or put it in, match it to the to the to the budget, uh, get information on different design possibilities, different materials, things like that, because there's a fluidity to this process. And so, six point three is a, uh, trying to uh, take that very complicated and fluid pr- process and put it down into contract terms so they're trying to make it as open-ended as possible in order to give the owner and the architect enough room to be able to match the budget with the desire but they have to make it still a contract and so this is the effort to do that. So now we're going to take a quick look at the A101 the owner contractor agreement uh, and uh, kind of see what uh, what th- that version is. So when we look at uh, the 4.2 section you'll see that in the contract with the uh, owner and contractor in the agreement uh, under section 4.2 alternates There's a whole series of these moments where any of the alternates that have been listed in the bidding process, any of the uh, extra materials that we want to have kind of considered for, for being put in, it's no longer a sort of fluid open discussion. Now there's a place and a price, a place and a price. Everything is there to be able to be nailed down so that when the number comes back and if it's too high, We can cross off alternate three and we can underline alternate two and say yes to two and no to three, but it's all set up with the price. So this is how do we take that complicated, fluid conversation that was happening in the B101 and how do we make it fit uh, to be relatable for the A101 in its mode of we'll achieve, we'll build, we'll we'll make happen uh, kind of mode. Right, and the way that they do that is by this little section right here which allows you to put specific prices to specific alternates so that everything can get added up uh, and even if uh, we don't include any of the alternates or don't include any of the allowances, well we've got all the information right there. So again these sort of basic themes of design concept and uh, discussion for the B-101 and will achieve and make it happen for the A-101, those two very distinct ways of thinking about it, which should fit very much into how you think about what the role of the architect is versus what the role of the general contractor is, uh, they are being played out through these contracts. All right, let's look at... uh, one more section here. I'm gonna go to the B101 for a moment. So this is the owner architect agreement. And we're gonna look at 3612. Oh, that's six one, oh, I'm sorry. Hang on a quick second here, let me get myself oriented.
0: Perhaps one of the things to note here, Mike, while you're <clears throat> looking through these, is that the NCARB, so the ARE, which is written by NCARB, um, specifically uses the AIA contracts absolutely um, uh, to test you on. Uh, but you should note that there are other contracts out there that other organizations have created, um, but the AIA um, has created the primary contracts. Of course, they're written um, you know, to try to help sort of balance all the, the differing needs between Architects and the client and the contractors and engineers and so forth, but the AIA is writing them. But there are other organizations who write some too, so sometimes you'll come across different types of contracts, but in this case when you're taking the, uh, the A.R.E., um, you really only need to focus on the AIA contracts, which is why Mike's going through this. Right.
1: And you'll also, I mean, you could imagine if you were a contractor, you might think really you, right. we're going to use uh, contracts that were designed by the Architecture <laughs> right. Association. like. Right. That, that, that could be a little problematic. So other, other players definitely have some issues with, the, with these. But in general, most people, they've, they've been developed over many generations and there's a lot of uh, court history, litigation history, precedent that has been built up over decades. Um, and so in general, they're pretty well accepted, but you absolutely will see multiple versions of this, uh, other people who, who produce these. All right, so I'm gonna look at section uh, 3.6.1.2 Uh, And I just wanted to sort of pull this one out because I think it sort of tells a little bit of an interesting story here, which is, the architect shall advise and consult with the owner during the uh, construction phases. The architect shall have the authority to act on behalf of the owner, uh, which right there is kind of an interesting thing, right? What they're saying there is this is such a complicated set of uh, situations where we're making a contract between the owner and the architect but we're foreseeing all of this work that's going to be happening once another contract has been made between the owner and the contractor. And so it's writing right in here saying, you know, there's a bunch of times when the architect is going to speak for the owner. So in the first phases, we're designing, we're working with, we're discussing, we're challenging each other, we're doing all of those things in order to figure out what the design intent is. And then the second part of all of what's going on is once we have that design intent, we're now, as an architect, helping the owner have the discussion with the contractor so that they can actually achieve the correct project, the correct design intent. Uh, And so right built into it, it says you actually speak for the owner, not for everything, not for all of their financial issues and a bunch of other stuff, But for many aspects of the conversations to come, you actually can speak for the owner and that's a a positive and useful thing. Let's look at uh, one more section here. I'm going to go to 364. Excuse me, 3624. So here we are, 3624. Uh, under this one, the most interesting part here, let's just sort of take a quick read, interpretations and decisions of the architect shall be consistent with the intent of and, reasonable inferable and, and reasonably inferable from the contract documents and shall be in writing or in the form of drawings. So this is one of those moments where you're like, how do we take something as complicated as design intent that includes all of these overlapping complications of meeting codes with compliance but also having to meet the program but also being part of a desire to set a certain uh, design aesthetic uh, how do we uh, do all that and put it into a design intent now clearly no drawing set no contract documents actually draw every single aspect of a building it just doesn't happen it just not it's not plausible uh, so you're drawing an intent You're, uh, the, the spec is showing an intent. Uh, and from that intent, a uh, series of other people, the general contractor, their subs, uh, uh, various other suppliers and people will be producing shop drawings. they'll be producing uh, um, you know mock-ups and and actually producing the building and asking questions and RFIs and all of those kinds of things because they will need to clarify, that design intent in order to be able to actually build it. And so, what this one section is saying is that all of those interpretations and decisions of the architect. So, like if somebody asks you a question and you say, Yes, it's, uh, it's the design intent of our drawings is that all of the toilets are gold plated. If it doesn't actually say that it should be gold plated, or it doesn't actually say, that we want to, you know, make a, a very lavish-looking place. If that's not reasonably inferable from the drawings that you put uh, put out, then it's not reasonable to expect the uh, A-101, the uh, owner-contractor agreement. Uh, it's not reasonable to expect the contractor to assume that they should have been gold-plated. Like what this section is talking about is trying to level that uh, flexibility and uh, sort of difficulty to nail things down for the architectural phase. But when you make the leap into the construction phase, we have to be able to be reasonable about it and uh, not assume information is being handed over that we actually didn't hand over. So here's one of those examples of those sort of slippery words uh, talking about inter- interpretations of decisions, uh, talking about intent, using the word reasonably inferable, right? You can't really imagine saying uh, we, uh, we hope that the, the, the contractor will, uh, you know, get the project done assuming a reasonably inferable, like you would never use those terms in the A101. It just doesn't fit to that kind of setting. So, when you see these these sort of flexible terms, you know you're in the B101, the architect's world. Uh, when you see those things like achieve and fulfill, you know that you're in the A101 and the contractor's world. Let's take one quick look at uh, a couple more contractor spots. Okay.
0: Well, Mike is looking at these guys, if you have any questions, you can throw them in the uh the question box here, Uh, we'll try to uh, get a couple of uh, questions answered during the uh, session.
1: So one thing just to sort of note, uh, when you look at, when you read through the A101, the owner contractor agreement, you'll find that a pretty big percentage of it is kind of talking about how do we get paid? How does the contractor get paid? And if you think about it, that makes perfect sense. Right? If the contract is about fulfilling uh, the, the process of building and getting the building done, and then how much they're going to get paid for that, it makes sense that a big chunk of the contract would be about, all right, when do I get paid? How do I get paid? How much money do I get paid each time? How does the payment process work, right? Uh, whereas similar issues will show up on the B101, but they're going to be more fluid and open to possibility. They're going to be more focused on milestones and uh, different ways of approaching how how the the payment process can work. So again, once you start reading through the two of them, as long as you have these themes in mind, you should be able to sort of have a pretty clear idea uh, of what's going on. And then I'm going to look at one more thing on this. I'm going to jump to Look at uh, Article 9. So here is the spot where you realize when you think about what your job is, your job is to design something. It's to, you know, uh, do a models, It's to make sections and plans and all of that. But what effectively you're doing, and obviously there's many ways to think about what your job is, but what, for this purposes of this conversation, effectively what you're doing is you are making the contract between the owner, and the general contractor. So Article 9 says, all right, here's what this contract is based on. So we've got the contract, the drawing, uh, titles, and what the date. Now that might change over a span of time, hence you might have multiples. Uh, contract can get updated with new dates if there's a new, new drawing set, but you can't have the A101 function if it's not referencing a specific set of contract documents. The reason they're called contract documents is because they are part of this contract. They get pulled into the contract by this Article 9 right here, where we list them out and it becomes like the contract is meaningless unless there's a drawing set and a specification set and whatever else is part of the the contract documents listed here. Because if it's not listed here, then it's not part of the contract, and there's no, there's nothing to achieve. Uh, there's no design intent available to uh, achieve by the contractor. So a key section there. I'm going to look at one last one, and then we're going to look at one other little little bit before we uh, end this off.
0: One thing while Mike is <coughs> searching for that. Uh, let's see who asked that question. I just lost you, but um, uh, someone just asked a smart question. So if you wanted to actually, I think one of the first things Mike said was to read the uh, contracts, and you might say, how? How do I read those contracts? Where do I find them? Um, and actually, the AIA um, has free sample contracts for you guys to download. I don't have the URL real handy. I'm sure you could Google it, or you can contact um, your local AIA uh, chapter. They'll be happy to, to get you... Um, connected up with uh, their sample contracts
1: yeah and it's a it's an easy system to get like I said start with these three uh, and then you can decide if you feel you need to or want to get into more uh, so absolutely uh, definitely go grab those things because reading them through will make a big difference but like I said if you just read them without thinking of these themes it would be very difficult to uh, to really grasp what's going on all right last thing I want to mention on on the b101 and the a 101 so this is the b101 the owner architect agreement and it's the section that talks about uh, additional services. So there's a set bunch of information that is expected uh, as part of a sort of standard architectural project. If you're not doing all of that then you would want to do a different contract because, you know, if you were only doing say schematic design or something like that then you'd want a contract that just said you were, that's what you were doing. Uh, but the sort of expectation, the standard expectation is sort of built into the contract. But then there's all sorts of things that are done often, but are not part of the expected, built into the contract thing. Uh, And so you can add them in just by essentially checking a box here, giving a little bit of information. So just kind of scan through these uh, programming. Programming is supplied by the owner. Every once in a while the owner needs some help, so you can do it as an additional service. Personally, I think it's a bad idea. I think it should be done as a separate contract. I think having a contract that's about what the program is and then including writing the program in the contract doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it happens all the time and you can do it right here. Uh, Do you need to have multiple preliminary designs, multiple schematic designs? do you need uh, uh, special um, detailed cost estimating? Uh, you can see down here in this one. Uh, do you need uh, uh, record drawings? Uh, do you need any post occupancy evaluations? Do you need the architect to coordinate uh, something that the owner is bringing in, like specialty people who uh, the owner is bringing in? historic preservation, multiple bid packages, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all sorts of information that uh, is put in here. So there's a set idea of how the contract is going to work, and then it has these ways to get it manipulated in order to fit to the overall. Okay, I'm going to take two seconds just to look at the A201, uh, the general conditions. We talked about things like the work and the project and uh, all those sorts of uh, terms, anything that was capitalized or uh, in bold or anything like that in those other two contracts, well, those are going to be defined uh, in this A201. So as soon as I get there, lots of uh, beginning. You can see it's all about coordinating from contract to contract. All right, here we go. When you look at the beginning of the A201, it talks about the contract documents. So what are those? And it's explained. The contract, the work with a capital W, well, that's the project itself, um, uh, the, the physical building of the project. The, the capital P project includes uh, beyond uh, the, the actual contractor's work. Uh, specifications, instruments of service. Instruments of service is all the work that the architect does beyond just the contract documents is uh, a whole series of different uh, elements that are uh, clearly defined and identified in the A201. And the whole point here is that you, by having the A201 exist, it allows us to have a simpler version of the A101 and the B101 and all of the consultant agreements, and the construction manager agreement, and et cetera, et cetera. All of those things can be simpler and more to the point because the A-201 establishes all of the sort of basic pieces of information that are gonna work for everybody. So hence they're called the general conditions. And by signing the B-101 and signing the A-101, you're incorporating this understanding, the A-201's understanding of timelines of definitions, of uh, processes, are all built into those other documents because the A-201 is incorporated into them right into those uh, uh, the A-101 and the B-101 and all those other
0: contracts. Beautiful. So a couple questions here, Mike. Yeah. Um, uh, The first one is to mention the exams that require contracts And actually, think there's a couple of more than a handful of them.
1: The two that require the contracts are the first two in the series, which are the uh, practice management and project management. Um, Both of those will uh, rely heavily on issues of project delivery. Uh, So, is it design bid build? Is it design build? Is it uh, construction manager, et cetera, et cetera? Um, And that question is essentially a contracts question. Uh, And so, those two will be filled very heavily with con contract questions, but you will actually get a few contact contract questions through all of them. Um, and the other one that I would uh, mention specifically would be the last one, which is uh, what's it, CE, Construction and, Evalu- and Evaluation. <laughs> um, uh, that one, because your role uh, is essentially to help the owner understand what's going on and to help the contractor fulfill their, their contracted uh, need to, uh, to actually make the building. There's a lot of little contractual elements there, uh, change orders and construction change directives and all of those things that show up in these contracts. So you actually do it through all of them, but the first two, absolutely, and the last one, absolutely. The other one's a little bit less so, but they'll definitely show up.
0: Okay, Uh, and one more question here. When a problem arises on the job site, so this is from Jay. Uh, Jay says, when a problem arises on the job site, the contractor will have to communicate it through the architect, who would then pass it along to the owner. Would it always have to be done through writing, uh, aka formal documentation, or can it be done uh, verbally? Um,
1: It can be done verbally as long as it's written somewhere. So what does that mean? That means, uh, one of the things that the uh, NCARB you'll find as you go through, like um, if one of the possible answers is make it into a bureaucracy, that's the answer, right? So if somebody does something verbally, uh, let's say an owner changes uh, part of the design, like in the middle of the process, they realize uh, now that they understand the drawings better, They they want to take something out of the design well then it should affect it should be show up in the design log that the architect keeps if the contractor says something that should go to the owner it should make it into the meeting minutes that the owner is then privy to and can uh, have uh, be can then respond to. Uh, it might make it into if there's a specific response that's needed. It would make it into the action items on the meeting minutes that then uh, become a memo that goes to the owner and that they're then expected to respond to it. So parts of the of the process can be done verbally, um, but. Uh, from an NCARB standpoint, from an exam standpoint, it should all eventually be found in some documented form.
0: Beautiful. All right. Great. Well, we'll go ahead and end it there. So uh, for everybody here, uh, our next ARE live podcast, uh, we'll be sharing the best tips and tricks from A19 uh, and those attendees who we've met there and who passed the ARE. Again, if you'd like to come by and, uh, and meet us, you're welcome to do so. We will be at booth 7138. So we'll be there uh, for the whole thing. Um, we've also posted a link in the chat box in the GoToWebinar control panel, so you can go uh, just down there and click that link, or you can go to blackspectacles.com podcast to register to attend. Uh, to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum, you can go to blackspectacles.com, where you can try out any of the free course videos, and if you would like your boss to pay for your membership, be, for, be sure to uh, visit um, blackspectacles.com firm to learn more about our firm memberships of any size. Uh, For those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE right now, you can use coupon code KYC52819PC to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your exam prep membership. And then finally tomorrow, we'll send you an email follow-up about today's live broadcast, so please let us know what you think. Share any suggestions you may have. I promise that uh, we read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So look forward to seeing uh, many of you at A19. uh, And for those... Uh, who've tuned in. Yeah. Uh, thanks for watching.
1: And come on out and come out and see us and come talk to me and tell me what uh, what's going on. Uh, and don't be afraid to read the contracts. Just dive <laughs> in, get them downloaded, dive in and read them. Uh, it's the, it's by far, now that you have an understanding of how these things work, it's by far the best way uh, to get into the detail.
0: Awesome. All right, thanks guys.